Hi everyone. So over the past weeks we've been exploring this um, teaching on awareness of mindfulness, the Buddhist teachings on Mindful, the four foundations of mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, and we've been kind of doing a deep dive, maybe deeper than in other areas in a way, in the teaching uh, in that Sutta on the mindfulness of the five aggregates, which is in the fourth foundation of the Satipatthana Sutta. So the five aggregates um, are a way that the Buddha kind of described what we experience. We have this body, this mind that experiences things and there's different ways to describe the things that we experience, what the process is, what happens for us as human beings. Um, we can think of our human system as different senses, for example, the six senses of the five physical senses plus the mind. And the Buddha also had this perspective on our experience uh, from a different, a kind of a different avenue, um, which he, he used the, the, the term the five aggregates for five processes of body and mind that interweave, that connect and create what we experience. I mean, the, these processes work together to um, I guess create what we experience is as good a way to put it as any. So the body, the form, physical form is one of these five aggregates. It is the physicality of our experience and that in general that that comes in through our five physical senses so the body sets the skin the eyes the ears the nose the tongue the mouth all, all of that um, all of the experiences that come in through the physical sense spaces that is called form so that's the first aggregate so it's a big lump of physicality basically and 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 lump or heap or mass that's that's a good translation actually for aggregate um, in other places in the suttas i just recognized the other day in several places in the suttas that word that's sometimes translated as aggregate in this particular teaching is elsewhere just translated as mass big heap of stuff so you know, this the body is one collection of 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 the area of our experience. And then the other four that the, the Buddha brings out in this particular teaching are connected to processes and things that happen in our mind. So the kind of the interweaving of various threads of mental um, process that, that kind of put together what we experience. So the other four are um, feeling, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral aspect of experience, Perception, how we recognize experience, the the um, the kind of the, mem the 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 way our system works. That when we come into this world, we don't have names or identification for various objects, but we learn over time what what things are, and so that that is the process of learning 
um, or, or recognizing, beginning to recognize what's happening around us. So I, I look around this room and easily, instantly know flower and couch and wall and light, window, that kind of thing. If that, so that's the process of perception at work. So that's, that's the second of the mental aggregates of, of the mental um, heaps. Then um, the third mental aggregate is what's called mental formation or volitional formation. This is a whole set of states of mind that um, have a kind of an intentionality to them. So this includes all of our emotions, it includes our thoughts, it includes a variety of mind states. Um, so the emotional realm, such as anger, frustration, confusion, love, um, happiness, fear, all of that is found in this, in this aggregate of mind state of, of mental formation. But also things like mindfulness, concentration, equanimity, things that we wouldn't necessarily consider emotions are found in there. And thoughts are also uh, in, this, in, this, in this aspect of, of experience. And then the fifth is consciousness. That's this bare kind of um, knowing experience. And it, it said the, the teaching on consciousness in the Buddha's psychology says there's six kinds of consciousness, one for each of the five physical sense bases. So there's seeing consciousness, hearing consciousness, smelling consciousness, taste consciousness, touch consciousness. And then there's um, also consciousness connected with mind. So there's awareness or, so there's not only awareness when we see, there's the kind of, uh, the, there's a sight and there's the eye and, and there's, you know, a, a kind of a contact, a physical contact of, uh, um, a photon on the eye and that's translated into sight. So there's the, all of these um, physical sense spaces have a kind of a contact to them. But then in, also in the mind there's understood to be a kind of a contact of various experiences like um, an emotion is is arising in the in in our experience an emotion is arising and there's the recognition of it there's a knowing of it a thought is arising and there's a knowing of it and so there's also understood to be mind consciousness uh, consciousness awareness of what goes on in our minds and so these uh, five aggregates the form the physicality feeling perception uh, mental formations and, and consciousness, they kind of all come together in, in a moment. We experience, what we experience is kind of an interweaving of these five things, of these five aspects, and, um, and that will continually flow and change the different experiences. There'll be experiences with certain pleasant experiences, pleasant sensations for a while and it'll shift to unpleasant or our, our mental formation will shift from confusion to fear. Uh, so there's all this, this flow, this change. Our bodily sensations are continuously changing and flowing. So the experience uh, that, we, that we have, what we experience, the, the definition of these five aggregates is, is the totality of our human experience. And so whatever we experience is found within these five aggregates. So this is, this is a, a way of thinking about the entirety of what we experience. So in a moment, we'll be experiencing some 
composition of these five aggregates. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the encouragement for awareness is to get to know these, these experiences, to get to know what body is, what feeling is, what perception is, get to know them all, and then to be aware of their impermanent nature how they arise, how they pass, that they change. And part of the reason for that um, is because very easily our human processes, the way our system works, and particularly actually perception is part of this um, confusion, that we misperceive, misunderstand these um, aggregates or the experience that we have let's just talk about it as the experience we have we can even leave aside the word aggregate for now um, just that the experience we have we misperceive it or mistake it as having some kind of substantiality and because we mistake it as having some kind of substantiality we tend to cling to it we tend to think it's worth clinging to we tend to think it's um there's something to cling to, as opposed to things being just a continual flux. We kind of land or think, okay, this, this experience, this has got some substance to it. And that mistake around substantiality often expresses itself through some form of identification. This is mine this is who I am, or this is myself, this is me. We talked a little bit about that in the last couple of times. Today I'd really like to start focusing on that there's a teaching, a, a, one of my favorite teachings um, in, the, in the suttas is around the insubstantiality of the aggregates, and it's framed through five similes. Five similes about each one of the aggregates and how the the each of these aggregates is is insubstantial and that the similes point to the way we might mistake or confuse something to be substantial so the the um the observance or recognition of the insubstantiality of the of the of these experiences in our body and mind helps uh, helps to correct that misperception that there's something there to cling to something to identify with something that is i or me or mine and so the the um i think that the teaching on insubstantiality that i'm going to start today I, I i'm really thinking to to do it over several weeks rather than trying to do all five of these in one talk uh, you know, to, to, to just take some time with each one. But I'll, I'll give you all five similes right now and, and just give you the flavor of the similes. And then over the next weeks, we'll, we'll explore each one of these similes. So, um, so the five similes are uh, for form. I'll actually, I'll read, I'll read, I'll read this. Um, Or I'll read abbreviated. I'll read this abbreviated. 
Suppose this river Ganges was carrying along a great lump of foam. One with good sight would inspect it, ponder it, and carefully investigate it, and it would appear to them to be void, hollow, and insubstantial. For what substance could there be in a lump of foam? So too, whatever kind of form there is, whatever physicality there is, one ponders it, inspects it, investigates it, and it would appear to one as hollow and insubstantial. For what substance can there be in form? So this is the comparison of the physicality to a lump of foam. The second, suppose that in the autumn it is raining and big drops are falling, a water bubble arises and bursts on the surface of the water. One with good sight would inspect it, ponder it, investigate it, and it would appear to be void, hollow, and insubstantial. For what substance can there be in a water bubble? So too, whatever kind of feeling there is, one inspects it, ponders it, and carefully investigates it, and it would appear to be void, hollow, and insubstantial. For what substance can there be in feeling? The third is comparing perception to a mirage. Suppose that in the last month of the hot season at high noon a shimmering mirage appears. One with good sight would inspect it, investigate it, and it would appear hollow and insubstantial. The, the fourth is um, uh, a uh, comparing, this one's a little bit odd, and when we get to this one, I'll unpack it much, much more than I will today. The fourth is comparing these mental formations, the, all of the, the activities in our mind, those intentional kind of activities, anger, confusion, frustration, um, also uh, love and happiness and thoughts, all of that, all of those mental things. He compares them to, basically to a banana tree. He compares them to a plantain tree. And um, the, the image there, he says, um, suppose someone in needing heartwood, in search of heartwood, went into a forest and saw the trunk of a large plantain tree, straight, fresh, without a fruit bud core. And I, I lived in the South Pacific for a while, and, and um, banana trees are pretty substantial looking. You know, they're their their they can their trunks can be you know six inches across or even bigger sometimes so they're they're pretty substantial they're solid they're they're hard but you cut it down so this is what he says he would cut they would cut down the plantain tree tree cut off the crown and unroll the coil because that's what you do you know that's what you can do with a with a plantain tree basically that trunk that looks so solid and substantial is made of layers one leaf on top of another, one thing on top of another, and you roll it, you unroll it, you unroll it, you unroll it, and there's nothing solid in the middle. That's his analogy for our mental formations. It is one layered on top of another on top of another, and boy, that does really resonate with me when I, when I think about my mental formations, the way they layered. It's like the, the, the thought will yield an emotion, and that emotion will trigger another emotion, which will trigger another thought, and they just like, they build. They roll up, they coil up, and they become very solid and, and substantial feeling. So that's the image for the, the mental formations. 
The last image that is brought up in this, in this set of analogies is um, for consciousness. He compares consciousness to a magic show. So he says, suppose that a magician or a magi magician's apprentice would display a magical illusion. One with good sight would inspect it, ponder it, and carefully investigate it, and it would appear insubstantial. For what substance can there be in a magic show? Now this one I'll just leave there for consciousness right now, and we'll talk about it in some other weeks. This one uh, to me is a, is, a, is a deeper unpacking, so, um, so we'll just leave that one there. So these five, five images for each, for, for our experience, form is like a mass of foam. Feeling is like an airy bubble, a bubble that's float, that's on the surface of a stream. Perception is like a mirage. Mental formations is like that coil of a um, banana tree. And consciousness is like a magician show, like a magic show. So he's pointing to the emptiness, the insubstantiality, and using these images. So each of these images both points to, in, in one way, points to something that we, that we might take or mistake to be solid. And yet when we look at it carefully, we see that it's not. So it's got that illusory nature. And so the, the images are, are kind of pointing to something that might seem solid, but then when you look at it more carefully, it's not. And the, 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 the similes are, I think, very um, brilliantly connected to the, uh, the aggregate, like the description of the mental formations in the banana tree. To me, that's a brilliant analogy of the way the layers of our mental formations gather and collect on top of each other and feel so substantial. And so each of these images both points to the way we, we think of or might experience something as substantial, and then you know the, the closer inspection revealing it not to be substantial. So the um, the, the teaching on insubstantiality has a couple of different flavors to it. It's got the, it's got the flavor of not having a kind of solid or stable existence. That's one piece of it, the insubstantiality. Um, so without inherent existence. And one way of reflecting on that is that experience is based on conditions. It comes into being on conditions and it falls apart on conditions. So it's not got its own inherent nature. It's dependent on other things. And, and when conditions fall apart, what we think of as a thing falls apart. And so it's not really a thing. It is a process of a, an unfolding process. And so that's one way of understanding this insubstantiality. And some of the analogies point to that pretty directly too. Another way of understanding insubstantiality is um, the word often used or sometimes used is, is empty. And he uses that word here. Um, well, I don't think that the word shunyata is actually used in this, but in translating it, um, inspects it, it would be void, void, or empty, void, hollow and insubstantial. So those three words the Buddha has used to describe each of these um, 
similes and each of the aggregates void hollow insubstantial so void or empty um, you know sometimes when we think of empty we think of nothing but what the buddha that there's elsewhere in the in the teachings the buddha says that when he speaks of emptiness somebody asks him a question what do you mean when you say empty and he said it is empty of self and what belongs to self so that's the the definition of emptiness in the Pali canon it's empty of self and what belongs to self so the exploration of the emptiness of these aggregates is also pointing to the not self nature of these aggregates so this is a pretty deep teaching and there's a lot to unpack here so the first simile just go into a little bit more depth in in the first simile on the body so the buddha says suppose that this river ganges was carrying along a great lump of foam now i've never been to uh india or to see the river ganges but there's there's um i have been to the pacific coast and um there are certain times of the year where uh, there seem to be a lot of um you know organic matter in the water and if there's a lot of churning waves then there can be great big huge lumps of foam that are kind of tossed up onto the beach one day um uh, i was i was at a um this is up in oregon i was at a a house doing a, a self-retreat and there'd been a huge storm and I'd been going along the ocean and um, um, walking and seeing the various places in the in, along the beach and there was this one beautiful cove that I love to go and sit on it was very it's a little still kind of almost like a pond but it was fed with the it was fed both with fresh water and with salt water and when the tide came in the the cove filled up a little bit more and then it went down. Well, when I, I went on a walk after this huge storm, it had been an enormous storm, and um, I went for this walk and I went down to the cove and I couldn't even get onto the little beach area. There's a little beach area with all these rocks because the entire, the entire cove, which is, you know, pretty good sized, you know, it's, it's, it's the size of a, of a, of a, of a I, I don't know how a, a very large pond let's say it's the size of a large pond um, it was filled with foam it was it was like six feet deep in foam and I what I said what I said is wow you know well there goes the pond for the rest of my for the rest of my trip you know it, it, that's so much foam it's like my mind created it's kind of permanent right it looks so solid i knew it was i knew it was foam right i knew i could walk into it and walk through it i didn't want to because it kind of would smell bad but but you know so i knew that it was insubstantial i knew that it was kind of would pop if i walked through it but my mind created this idea of wow look at that it's there, I, you know, I was there for another two or three weeks. I was like, well, there goes the, the cove for the rest of my trip. I came back the next day or some hours later, and it was gone. It was gone. So that insubstantial nature of foam, you know, so the, 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 the mind had created a kind of a permanence to it, 
even though I knew it was impermanent, it created that permanence. And so that's what the Buddha says that we do with the body, with, with our um, uh, physicality. And so the appearance of foam, you know, the appearance of it is it looks substantial. We know it's insubstantial. We may not know how insubstantial as, as I kind of made that mistake. But uh, we, know, we know it's insubstantial, and yet we still impute some kind of stability to it. And so too with our, with our physicality. Um, I, the, another part of this image that was brought out in, in um, the commentaries is that, you know, that, that lump of foam, you know, it consists mostly of air, right? It's, it's primarily air. There's a little bit of matter that is held together by some bubble structures, you know, so it, it's, got, it's got that. But there's, there's a lot of different kinds of matter in there. It's maybe got a little bit of um, soapy stuff, um, you know, because it does kind of look soapy or scummy. Um, but it's also got um, the bodies of beings in there. So it's, it's, it's made of a whole bunch of different kinds of things. So too with our physicality. You know, we, we, we think of ourselves as having human cells, right? We do. There's a lot of different human cells. So that's a way we can think about our body as having different components. And, you know, we think of our body as solid. And yet we know, actually, there's a lot of air in there. And there's a lot of water in there. So there's, there's you know, the, 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 the components we can kind of reflect and think of our body as having different components. Something I read just, I think it was just yesterday or the day before, um, it was it was it was an article about the microbiome. You know how it was is how our how our um, um, the microbes might affect our mind. You know, so it was this kind of interweaving between what's in our gut and how our mind thinks and feels. It was, a, it, was, it was a kind of an interesting article that they're doing some research on this microbiome and treating the microbiome to um, support Alzheimer's, to, you know, to, to treat things like Parkinson's and even, you know, depression, things like that. So, you know, there's, there's understood to be this connection. Um, now, what, what it said in this article that really stunned me was, 42% of our body, of what we think of as us, 42% of it are human cells. The other 58% are this microbiome, bacteria and fungus, other, other creatures basically. 58% of our body. <laughs> is not us, is not human, is not human. So that's another kind of, you know, mistaken thing that we, we think of ourselves as, you know, it's like the vast majority of me isn't even human. And that non-human part is affecting the human part. So it's a system, it's a system. So, you know, so these kinds of reflections can help us to see our body as not substantial, to see our body as this kind of lump of foam. But then there's also the experiential, the more direct experience, which is kind of more perhaps what the Satipatthana Sutta is pointing to, to see 
the insubstantial nature of experience through seeing its impermanent nature. So this, the instructions in the Satipatthana are to see the impermanent nature. To, so to see experience come and go. So what is our actual bodily experience? When we start to feel it, start to, to experience it, it's, there's very little of it that's stable when we start to look at the actual sensations. In the guided meditation, I pointed to this a little bit. You know, you may be experiencing things, you know, when we, when we experience things through the idea of some aspect of our experience, like we experience perhaps a need that's uncomfortable or tension in our back or something like that, often we are um, experiencing it through the idea of back or knee and um, and that overlaying of that idea so that's perception actually that's a, another of the aggregates the perception of back the perception of knee that when we overlay that perception we tend to miss it's like the perception kind of solidifies the experience. And this is, I think, a big way this mistaken perception happens. The way we take things to be solid and stable is because perception makes that mistake. Perception, like my perception of the foam. You know, I just saw it as substantial. And so the, the perception of our physical experience or the, the, the way we experience our physicality is often through a perception. We're not directly often experiencing the actual sensations, the actual physicality, the actual contact. I talked about each of these senses, you know, the tongue, the, the contact with the tongue. You put an orange in your mouth, for example, and it's very hard not to taste orange. You know, not to, not to have the idea of orange. But what that orange is, is a whole blend of other sensations, some of them being taste sensations, um, sweet and tart, uh, sour, those um, a little bitterness. Those are independent flavors that, you know, the tongue picks up on. And the mind, the the then then there's the other aspects of it that are maybe a little bit more uh, physical, like liquidity. So you might have something that's sweet, sart, uh, sweet, tart, and sour that's wet, like an orange, and you might have something that's sweet, tart, and sour. I can't think of what that might be, but that's dry, you know, but that doesn't have the the liquidity, and that's a piece of the the information about that that perception takes and create, you know, takes all those sensations and packages it together and says, well, this is orange. And this is, I don't know, one of those plums from Asia, those really tall, you know, those dry plums that are very, um, um, they've got tartness and saltiness and various things. So, you know, you know, the different flavors that the, the, the recognition, the process has put it together. But, but, we're, but we're not really feeling or, or knowing all of the things that put it together. And so we, we identify the experience as plum or as orange or as a carrot or as celery or, you know, so we identify the experience that way. And likewise too with, with sound. You know, there's, there's pitch and tone that hits the ear and and the idea of what it is, like bird or lawnmower, 
you know, all of those, those various uh, things. Th that's perception at work. And so we, we don't often come to the actual experience of body unless we're actually meditating and, and curious about what's going on. Mostly we experience our daily lives through this perceptual lens. And that's essentially the kind of the mistake that the, the mistake around the foam is that we we perceive it as having a solidity. But if we actually walk into that foam, it's pretty clear there's no solidity or substantiality there. So the um, the exploration can be to look to look more um, to recognize that there's the perception and be curious, maybe just ask the question, okay, well, that, that, that feels like knee or that feels like hand, but what's the actual experience? And then in my, as in the guided meditation, I encouraged a more receptive quality, like receiving, well, what's there? So, you know, just right now, put your attention in your hand, you know, just hold your hand out and like, you can think of it as a hand, look at it, know what hands do, you know, look at that in that way, but then like, let go of that idea. And just maybe close your eyes and feel the hand. Just receive what's obvious about experience there. Maybe there's a little tension, some, some stiffness, some coolness, some moisture, heat, maybe some vibration or pulsing. Those sensations, when we touch into those or kind of can receive those, we often experience them as kind of dynamic. You know, they're, it's not, they're not so solid or stable. When we, when we look at our hand as a hand and think about what it, it's doing, it, it has more of a feeling of, of, or the sense of substantial. And yet the actual sensation level of experience, which is what the Buddha is pointing to in the Satipatthana, the sensation level of experience. Um, at the sensation level, it's very dynamic. And so that begins to undermine the kind of the sense of the solidity of it. Now, there is a kind of solidity there. I mean, the bones in there, you know, we know through some reflection that our cells we know from science that our cells are replacing themselves so there's not a substantiality to even the cells of our body but there it still feels substantial and so that's that's and it has that experience of like no it feels so solid it's it's right here but it, and and this is partly why in terms of the body the buddha encouraged in that first foundation of mindfulness to reflect on how bones themselves will decay you know, in the, in the death contemplations, you know, that when, when there is no longer nutriment that is, you know, moisture, giving moisture and food to nourish our human system, it's going to dry up, it's going to fall apart. And you can see that in the charnel grounds at the time of the Buddha, there were these charnel grounds and you could see the bones decaying. So there's a variety of ways into exploring this insubstantiality to kind of undermine this belief of the substantial nature on our experience. And so in our, in our experience, you know, the, 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 um, we often will grasp at the concept. 
we are mostly grasping at concept when we are have so the sense of substantiality is mostly created through the concept or the idea and so you know the 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 idea of pain for instance you know that we we have relationships to the idea of pain you know the 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 sense of the body in pain and we'll talk about that more when we talk about feeling but but the idea of pain when we come underneath it it's like the idea of pain feels so solid if our knee is in pain the experience of that it, it feels so solid it's like yes my knee hurts but then we start looking at well what is knee what are the sensations that are there what is this experience of pain we find that it is rapidly changing and the the what we are mostly um reacting to isn't the actual sensations there can be some some reactivity to the actual especially when the sensations spark or kind of intensify quickly sometimes the sensation will rapidly increase and there can be some reactivity there but most of the time, much of the time, we're, we're reacting to the idea that this is here, this is my knee, this is a problem, this is going to continue, what does this mean? And so we're, we're, um, we're kind of clinging to the idea of pain and then reacting to that more than we are actually clinging to the actual experience. And so this question of what is actually happening, what actually is the experience of body? That's kind of this exploration of the insubstantiality of body and is an encouragement to look at in the Satipatthana Sutta pointing to, well, noticing the body, noticing form as arising and passing. So we can, we can start to, to observe this in this way. So I want to stop there and see comments or questions or thoughts or reflections anything you'd like to share yeah kate did you know okay i actually do have something i would i would ask um so i think that i've often gotten uh, i've often stumbled on the um the 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 substantiality particularly of form um, in the, in the aspect of like, okay, there's a table in front of me. Now, how the heck do I see that as insubstantial? Um, but, but it's, but today I was really focusing on seeing it as insubstantial in that it came together through the conditions of growth of a tree and the, the sun and all of that. And, and seeing it as insubstantial simply by thinking through the fact that it will decay and go away, which, it, which is like, a, it's like knowing it's arising and passing, but not in the way that I know the arising and passing of breath or anger or something like that. It really has a very mental thought, thought, thought through component of it. Yes. And I think that that is for the for the external things and even like for you know the physicality of the body if we think about it as you know the bones and the organs and things like that you know more the reflective question and the buddha pointed to reflection a lot you know in especially in that first foundation many of those are reflective practices so the reflecting on the you know the insubstantiality of our human body you know and in other places too um 
um, you know, the Buddha compared the, the, the body as, I don't remember which, which exercise this is. Oh, I think it was um, the elements in looking at the elements. He also encouraged us to reflect on our body kind of like, you know, being like a cow that might get cut up and like, you know, you would no longer when the cow gets cut up and sold in the marketplace as meat, you know, you're not, you're not any longer thinking of that. Oh, this is cow that I'm buying. You're thinking of it more as this is flank or this is, you know, hindquarter or whatever, you know, you're, that's how you're thinking of it. So that it's, it's kind of more in these, in these pieces. And so the, the, uh, the reflection in, to some extent, you know, it does, that does help to help us to see the, um, the insubstantial nature of, of um, things that are external, like tables, like lamps, you know, it's like, we can know they are impermanent. But I think actually more what we attach to isn't so much the permanence of that table. I mean, we might attach to some aspects of it, you have a nice new table, you know, and then uh, a, a guest comes along and puts a water glass down on it, and you get this big spot on it. And it's like, you know, that's, that's impermanence, right? You know, we don't normally think about that as impermanence, but that's also impermanence. And the reason that would create suffering is because of attachment to that table being the way we want it to be. And so the, the identification with those external objects, you know, and, and, and some kind of stability of those external objects. It doesn't have to be that the table goes poof, you know, it can just get a little water spot on it and we suffer about it. Um, you know, or some, or the fire burns it down. That's a more, you know, that's a more, you know, a dramatic way that we'd see it. But a lot of the suffering that happens, you know, it's not so much that we suffer that because the table is, 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 you know, coming into being and falling apart slowly, which it is, it is, it will, that table will not be here forever. We know that. Um, but we mostly suffer around our identification of it as mine and what that means. And so there, there's, that's another exploration in, in the aggregate teaching, you know, to, to look at how do we take things to be mine and where is the suffering happening about that. But also re recollecting the insubstantial nature of something helps us to see at a bigger level, it's not mine, you know, but also, um, and also to recognize that it, it inevitably will decay. So that there can be, there, there might be a little bit less of the, uh, you know, tendency to cling to it. Yeah. yeah, thanks for that question. Any other, any other comments or reflections? This, uh, this sparked a, a question for me around like cleaning the house. I've noticed that, for example, when the sink is filled and it's time to do the dishes, often the motivation will be the, the satisfaction of, oh, now the kitchen is clean. But then tomorrow's the kitchen is dirty again. And yet somehow it's very appropriate to do the dishes. And so for me, where that's landed is maybe kind of a difference between doing the dishes in order to create the state clean kitchen and maybe doing the dishes out of a sense of caring for the space, but not necessarily trying to get the state of clean kitchen because that will come and go very rapidly. 
it does come and go rapidly and 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 yet that as as you point to i mean i think there are other other motivations right there are other motivations for cleaning the kitchen you know the you know the the taking care not only of the space but also of our health you know if you don't clean the kitchen then there's um other beings that kind of come in and live with us and spread disease and illness and so there's a, there's a caring for for not only the space but for ourselves in that and so you know that but that caring for you know if you you know for instance you know it's like brushing your teeth you know it's it um that's that's a, that's another thing that is just continually changing you brush your teeth and almost instantly there's some you know something that's starting to you know get build up in there again you know more bacteria are building up in there but if you never cleaned your teeth there would be another form of suffering <laughs> So, so, you know, the, 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 the idea too is not necessarily to like have the idea, you know, sometimes we could take this teaching of like, well, I shouldn't want to clean the kitchen then, you know, what, what, you know, what, but, but there's other, that's kind of applying the idea of kind of insubstantiality in a, in a, in a, it's kind of bringing in an idea of, of that as if things are insubstantial, I shouldn't do x you know but that's just that's just a, that's another mistaken idea you know the 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 process that the buddha points to around moving in the direction of freedom is to recognize the processes that move in the direction of suffering you know so the clinging to the clean kitchen and any any um frustration you experience when you walk in and see it's not clean not clean that's that's moving in the direction of suffering if you see that you're clinging to the idea of clean kitchen then it's not necessarily that the movement would be to stop cleaning the kitchen but rather to look at the clinging um and and so to see the the movements in the direction of that and what kind of contributes to that and then to see the movements in the direction of letting go you know what contributes to well-being what contributes to the heart having ease and some of that is compassion taking care um, wishing to support beings all beings including ourselves to not experience stress and suffering and so the the process is but that's a that's a dynamic process there's not a place to land where forevermore i will not have to do anything to take care of myself you know that this is an ongoing process so the the exploration is to to look at those processes that support leading to freedom and encourage those and to look at those processes that are leading towards clinging and and we experience the, those two very differently it's it, the, the the feedback loop that we get in our system around that is that when we notice when we turn towards the experience and feel the clinging around clean kitchen we experience a contraction we experience something that that makes it clear this is not actually helpful when we look at the um, experience of compassion of wanting to take care of of supporting ourselves and others there's not that contraction there's more of a sense of space and connection even with suffering you know even if there's suffering happening there can be an ache in there but that ache doesn't have to have a contracted feeling it can have a connecting feeling and and then moving towards caring for 
ourselves and other beings from that space of open heartedness. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the exploration. Um, not the idea of, okay, I shouldn't want, like, for instance, the, 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 one of the big things that, that happens in practices, you know, I shouldn't want to practice because I'm wanting to not feel bad anymore, you know, so I'm practicing in order to not feel bad. So therefore I shouldn't practice and you never get anywhere if you, <laughs> if you approached it that way. So, you know, so you have to kind of recognize these processes and, and, and watch how they unfold and encourage the, the ones that are more open and explore actually not try to push away but to explore well what is it like to want to have a clean kitchen and to feel that contraction and maybe see the letting go of that contraction and feeling a different way to relate to clean kitchen and not clean kitchen that might come from care rather than from craving that's a great question thanks and it's time to stop so Thank you all.